Now I'd invite you to open back up to Romans chapter five as we um, try to follow what Paul is saying in the first half of chapter five in Romans. Have you ever known somebody that likes to brag? I have an older brother who um, is a very intelligent uh, man and he's always been very smart and we've always had somewhat of a competitive relationship. Um, and he was so smart that he actually skipped a whole grade in school. I'm not kidding, I'm not making this up. He was 11 years old and school was too easy for him so he skipped an entire grade. I think that's basically equivalent to like P7 around here. He just skipped the whole thing. Now, I was very proud of him, of course, still am, but you can imagine how difficult it was for me to come home with good news from school because he could always one-up me, right? Like, I could come home and say, Dad, Mom, I got an A on this test. Are you proud of me? And my brother, my older brother, whom I love, could always say, that's very good, Zach, but have you skipped an entire grade? And I could never say anything in response because there's no response to that. Um, I never skipped a grade, never did. I can't say I have. Now, to be fair, he didn't really brag all that often. He's not that kind of person. Not like some people that we hear from, especially in the media, like celebrities and musicians, one of whom will remain nameless, but I will quote this musician right now, saying, I am the number one human being in music. That means any person that's living or breathing is number two. I am God's vessel, I'm still quoting, my greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. End quote. Now, you might be able to guess who that is. What is it about boasting that makes us laugh like that? And we hear someone boast, we hear someone brag, and we think, come on, get real. Now, I've come to realize that Northern Ireland in particular is not a place to brag. If you go out on a limb and you want to boast about something, prepare to be cut down and put in your place. People don't tolerate bragging around here, and they shouldn't tolerate bragging around here. Why? Because as we know from the Bible, the Bible itself tells us that boasting and bragging is something stupid. It's what fools do. Bragging and boasting is a sign that you're about to fall. Pride comes before the fall. Jeremiah 9, verse 23, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the um, rich man boast in his riches. However, there's a caveat there. Even in Romans, we have seen Paul mention boasting in chapter three and chapter four. I don't know if you noticed it, but in chapter three, Paul said, Boasting is excluded because what the gospel teaches us. This is chapter three, verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Why is boasting excluded? Because salvation is a gift of grace, not earned. Jews, Gentiles, male, female, slave, free, no one can boast. All is grace, all is a gift. And then he says it again in chapter four, Verse two, look down at the story of Abraham. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. So twice Paul has mentioned boasting in Romans and he said it's not something you want to do, it's excluded, it's bad, don't do it. 
Makes sense until we come to chapter five. Did you notice the word boasting a couple times in chapter five? Look down at verse two in chapter five. This is our passage. The end of chapter two. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Then he says it again down in verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So which is it, Paul, to boast or not to boast? Which is it? What are we supposed to do? Why the sudden change of heart? Boasting is excluded, boasting is bad, don't do it, and now all of a sudden, we're supposed to boast. If we're gonna take Paul seriously, and I think we should, then it must be the case that there is a good kind of boasting and a bad kind of boasting. And we're familiar with the bad boasting because that's all we hear, that's all we see. Yet, there is a good kind of boasting, and if we're listening, we ought to do it. This isn't enough for us to say, I don't boast about myself, so I'm good, I don't need to listen to this. But do you boast the right way is the question. And I wonder if you do. And the obvious question is, what does it mean to boast in the Lord, to boast the right way? We need to figure out what it is, how to boast the right way, and then we can try and do it. So what does it actually mean? Well, the first hint of what it means comes in verses one and two. And if we take these verses carefully, we'll see that it gives us a great hint as to what Paul means by boasting in the Lord, boasting the right way. So verses one through two are full of big theological language, aren't they? Look at verse one and two. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You might be saying, I don't know what those words mean. They're a bit vague in my mind. That is okay. The point you need to understand is that all of those things, the justification, the grace, the peace, all of that is a result of what God did, not what you or I did. That is the point. God did all of them. All of the big words, all of the big concepts, all of those things are what God did. God did all of them by his sovereign grace. He attained justification for you. He attained peace for you, grace for you. It's not something you did. It's not something I did. It's not something I earned, not something I achieved by myself. The point is simply that God did it. God did it by his own sovereign power and mercy. And in a way, that's a really great summary of everything we've seen in the past chapters, right? God is the one we look to as the the, the sovereign creator of the plan of redemption. No part from us, no contribution of works, no contribution of merit of our own. All the spotlight, all the focus is on God. And that's really the first hint of what it means to boast in God. It's to change your focus from what you have done and what you can do and what you will do to what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do. Then notice now the boasting is future-oriented. Notice that. 
End of verse two. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Why is boasting in the, the hope of the glory of God what we're supposed to do? Because we look to the past and we see what God has done and that gives us hope for the future. In many ways, this is a transitional passage, as I mentioned earlier. We're making a, a slight pivot here and we've been focusing on the past Chapters one through four, what God did. <coughs> chapters five through eight, you can think broadly, chapters five through eight are future oriented. They're looking towards the future, what God is doing now and what he will do in the future. And they're about hope, hope. That's broadly speaking what these next few chapters are about. Now, usually when you and I brag, it's about what we have done, what we can do. And so here the first clue about what it means to boast the right way is to change our focus, not to what we can do, what we will do, but what God has done and will do through Christ for us. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're thinking, I don't boast, or you don't boast. But wait just a minute, because Paul is not simply talking about outright, blatant, boasting like I am the greatest, like our, our friendly celebrities. We are much too clever for that. We are much too subtle for that kind of boasting. But boasting we still do. Think about the way we use our social media, just for a moment. How do you use it? I'll bet we use our social media to present to others a particular version of how we want to be seen. And we don't want to be seen as uh, uncool and unfashionable or poor or uneducated. We present to others someone who is successful, someone who has good times with friends, someone who's intelligent, someone who knows what's up. That's what we present to other people. And we may not say, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, but deep down, that's how we want to be seen by others. We want other people to recognize. Let me ask you if you've ever had this experience. Have you ever been in public and someone is speaking and they're giving a speech and they're saying thanks? It's a thank you speech. Thank you for helping me a win this award or something like that. And they're naming people and they say, thanks to you know, this person, thanks to that person, thanks to this person. And deep down, you're really, really hoping, I hope they say my name. <laughs> Even if you had nothing to do with their success, I really want them to say my name. I want everyone to know my contribution to their success. I hope that's not just me. <laughs> I hope it's not, I suspect it's not just me. That deep down we want to be recognized for being helpful, successful, a good person. I want other people to recognize that. But I'm afraid to say it because that would be outright boasting. Yet boasting is so much more than just what you say. It's about an attitude of what is really self-promotion. We have a desire deep down to promote ourselves we want to be seen as fashionable, appreciated, popular. And Paul's language this far 
is miles away from that sort of thinking. All of his focus is on what God has done while we were weak, when we were powerless, when we were sinners. We have hope for the future because in our weakest, worst, lowest point, he sent Jesus to die for us. Moving into verse three, Paul says, we also glory in our sufferings. Now this is difficult because a lot of people think that the Bible ignores suffering. I can't accept the Bible, I can't accept Christianity because it just ignores the suffering in the world. If you think that, you have not read the Bible or you haven't read it recently. Just pick a character in the Bible. Pick a story at random and it will involve suffering in some capacity. Some stories have more suffering than others. We think of Job. We think of Joseph, as we mentioned with the kids. Jesus himself. The Bible does not ignore suffering. Not a bit. And if you think it does, go and read it and see what the Bible says about suffering. Paul, even here, does not say we rejoice when we escape suffering because that means we're better Christians than others. Or we can avoid suffering by focusing on God. He doesn't say that. He says we glory in our suffering. When it comes, we glory in it. Not that we should seek it out. But what we learn here is that we can glory in suffering because we know something. Look at that, verse three. We glory in our sufferings because we know something. What the Bible does is put our suffering in perspective. It doesn't remove our suffering. It doesn't deny that we suffer. And it doesn't even uh, congratulate you for suffering. What the Bible does consistently is put your suffering in its proper perspective. What is that perspective? Well, I mentioned to the kids getting a splinter. Well, in our house, if you get a splinter, no matter what's happening in the house, it stops because this is priority number one. Someone's got a splinter, and immediately they're screaming. Loud, wailing, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't matter what part of the body it's in, but if someone has a splinter in our house, everything comes to a standstill, and then they're screaming. Now, how easy, if you've dealt with a child who has a splinter, how easy is it to have a logical conversation with them? What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get some tweezers, and I'm gonna hurt you a little bit more <laughs> and get that splinter out so that it won't hurt even more in the future. How easy is it, if you're a parent or a grandparent, it's so easy to have a logical conversation in that situation, right? No, of course not. There's no way you can rationalize with a kid in that situation uh, because that just looks like more pain and don't give me more pain. Yet if we understood as children, if we understood our parents, we would know that they're trying to help. They're trying to help. They have our best interest in mind, and that is necessary to prevent more pain, more suffering in the future. And we laugh at how kids can't be reasoned with in that situation, but that's exactly how we are in the midst of suffering. Because we suffer, and we experience pain, and God says, I've got the tweezers, and I'm going to help you. And we say, get away from me. Don't touch me because you don't see 
what Paul is saying. We can glory in suffering because we know something. What do we know? We know that God uses suffering. He uses suffering to produce perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. The Bible puts our suffering in perspective. It doesn't explain it away. It doesn't pretend like it doesn't exist. It reminds us of what we know as Christians. Now, I love verse nine and 10. Since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What does that mean? Well, Paul is using a very particular style of argument here, a very particular thing called from the greater to the lesser, from the greater to the lesser. And it's a logical uh, procedure that makes quite a bit of sense when you see what he's saying. Basically, if God has done the hard thing, he's done the great thing, he's done the big thing, how easy is it for him to do the small thing? He can do it, he will do it, and we can trust that he will. What's the hard thing? The hard thing, the great thing, the big thing is that while we were sinners, while we were enemies, while we hated him or wanted nothing to do with him, he sacrificed his son for us. How easy is it now that we have been included in his family? We've been adopted, we've been forgiven, we've been saved. How easy will it be for him now to take us home to heaven in the midst of the pain, in the midst of our suffering? Think of it this way. Um, I was born many years ago in Canada, and my parents, you'll believe this, they didn't leave me at the hospital. They took me home, and they fed me, and they gave me a bed to sleep in. That was the first night. And then the second night, get ready, they fed me again, and they gave me a bed to sleep in again, and they took care of me again. And then the third night, guess what happened? They fed me and they gave me clothes, and they gave me a bed to sleep in, and then guess what happened the fourth night? The same thing, over and over and over and over and over and over. And when I got sick, they took care of me. And when I went to play sports when I got older, they went to support me, even though that must have been terribly embarrassing for them as parents. They still went out to support me and watch me. And night after night after night, not a word of thanks from me. For 18 years, they, there was three meals a day and love and compassion and protection and discipline and a bed to sleep in for 18 years. That was the hard part, right? You're a parent. That is the big thing. What's the little thing? Let's say, based on what I have told you now, that I call my dad. I call my dad right now on the phone, and I'd probably wake him up. It's early in the morning back home, but we'll let that slide. And if I ask him right now, uh, I'm not going to do it, by the way, but if I ask him, <laughs> Dad, I'm in trouble. Do you have a place for me to sleep tonight? What would he say? 
He'd say, no, 18 years, you've been sleeping in my house, find your own. Of course he wouldn't say that. Based on what you know about his commitment to me for 18 years, he can do the easy thing, can't he? He will do the easy thing. In fact, it's the 18 years of hard work that proves to me that he will be faithful in the future. That sounds like a nice story, but that's exactly the logic Paul is using right here. Now that he has sacrificed for those who hate him, and he has made you his own, and he has forgiven you, and he has adopted you, and he has brought you into his family, how much more will he save you when the wrath comes on the day of judgment? You know he will, because that's the easy part now that you're his, now that you're in his family. So what does the suffering and the trial and the pain mean for you today? Does it mean that God has left you behind and he's forgotten about you and he doesn't like you anymore? Nothing could be further from the truth. He has proven how much he loves you by the cross and the empty tomb and pouring out his Holy Spirit. That was the hard part. How much easier is the small thing taking you home to heaven? It's as good as done. We just have a little time to wait till we get there but it's as good as done. The cross, the empty tomb, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the proof that we need to show us that the suffering we have in this life is temporary. God knows all about it. And we have faith. We have hope. We can trust that he will be faithful to bring us home to be with him. Now, all of that allows me to circle back to the original question. What does it mean to boast in God? What's the right way to boast? And this will be brief. The simple question is this. Do you talk about what God has done? Not just think about it. Do you talk about it with your family, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with the people you uh, live next to, you bump into, Do you talk about what God is doing and what God has done and what God will do? Psalm 44, verse eight. In God, we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. Colossians chapter four. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. There's a right way to boast, and we should do it. The Bible encourages us to do it. Paul is telling us to do it. And you're not supposed to say, well, I don't like talking about that stuff because I don't like talking about myself. Well, you don't have to talk about yourself. In fact, you shouldn't talk about yourself. Talk about what God has done. That's easier, isn't it? Talk about what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do, and how you know he will. That is boasting in God, and we ought to do it. It ought to fill the way that we talk. It ought to change the way that we talk and who we talk to. Because the simple question is this. If you and I are not telling our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors about who God is and what he has done, who is? Who is? 
Let's end it there. Thanks for listening. Let's say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for what you have done and what you will do. We pray that you would strengthen us and give us courage to speak about it boldly and with grace and mercy to those who need to hear. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen.